Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 18. Hear the word of the Lord. If you don't have a Bible, we brought one to you. It's on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject for better or for worse. <clears throat> for better or for worse. And I wouldn't even think about that title when my anniversary was coming up. It's just how that worked out. Praise God. Father, we thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Life is what happens when you are busy making other plans. This quote was made famous by one of the founding members of the rock band, The Beatles, John Lennon. And to be honest, it sums up most of our lives because the reality of our lives is that many of us have made plans, and while we were making plans, life happened. As a matter of fact, if we could be honest, we'd have to testify that We had plans for 2018, and now that we're in the home stretch of the year, we're coming to grips with the reality that even though we planned and strategized as well as we could, 2018 threw some things at us that we weren't really expecting, and now we're having to pick up the pieces because no matter how hard we plan, no matter how strategic we try to be, things seldom go according to plan. And a lot of the times it seems as as if just when we've devised our perfect strategy and analyzed our next moves and we're ready to put our plans into action, that's when things seem to go crazy and start falling apart. It's almost as if all the ridiculous circumstances of our lives come together and are now purposely working against us to show us how little control over our lives we really have because how many of y'all know we like to be in control? But what happens? What do you do when you've been preparing to move forward and then something unexpectedly happens in life and it knocks you backwards? 
How do you recover when you flawlessly calculated your next move and you're ready to put it all into motion? And it seems as if all systems are going. You've been cleared for takeoff, but somehow something happens. Circumstances change. A relationship ends. A job lets you go. A loved one dies. And now you find yourself grounded, not knowing what to do or how to move forward. And is there anybody here who's not stuck up and can be honest with us today and testify that your life is not exactly where you thought it would be? When you were planning out your life, when you were saying where you wanted to go, when you were talking about where you would be, everything in your life has not perfectly worked out. And now you're sitting in the sanctuary trying to make the best of a series of bad situations because things seldom go according to plan. Oh God, and have you ever wanted to ask God, I mean, let's be honest, how many of y'all got a for real prayer life? Now I'm not talking about a cute prayer life, I'm not talking about a churchy prayer life, but a prayer life where you really ask God questions and you ask him stuff like, God, why are you letting all this happen to me? Why does it seem like I'm trying to serve you, I'm trying to do right, I'm trying to be the best me I can be, but somehow or another you still allow problems and things to come into my life and throw me off track. I got my whiteboard written out of how my year is going to go. I done wrote down everything in my journal. I've strategized as best I could, but somehow or another life keeps throwing me curveballs and it seems as if my life is going off track. And this is especially true in the holiday season because even though this is called the most wonderful time of the year, as I told you before, it's also the highest time of year for suicide attempts and depression diagnoses because while many people around us are rejoicing with their families about how well things are going there are some of us who hate this time of year because it forces us to deal with the reality that we plan for life to go one way but it didn't go the way that we thought it should go and because of this we find ourselves depressed and disappointed because whether we want to admit it or not we desire to control our lives and we are afraid of the uncertainty that comes with letting God be in control of our lives because letting God lead us means that sometimes God will lead us into places that we never wanted to go but that we desperately needed to be so that we can become who he's called us to become let me run that back sometimes following God means that God will lead you into places that you don't want to go but that you desperately need to be so that you can become who God has called you to become and the only way for us to have have peace in the midst of the uncertainty of following God is to surrender to the reality that God is God and we are not. And if we let go of our need to control our lives and trust God for better or for worse, I know that life is happening, but how many of y'all know that if you trust God, God will give you comfort in the midst of an uncertain life. God, help me. I don't know who I'm preaching to in here, but is there anybody here who can say half the time, I don't know what God is doing, but I've come to a place where I've learned to trust him with my life. I've learned how to trust God for better or for worse. I don't just trust God and declare that I have faith in him when things are going my way, but I trust God even in the times where he's doing things that I don't understand. That's why he prophesied to his people in Jeremiah 
chapter 29 verse 11 and said I know the thoughts that I think towards you thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope he says look you might not know what's going on but I know what's going on you might not understand what's happening to you but I know what's happening to you you might not know how it's going to work out but all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose and if you're going to follow God you've got to choose to believe that even if it's going your way that if God allowed it then he has purpose in it and he got to follow him for better or for worse and I know that's simple that's not deep it's direct uh, it's not clever it's clear but you got to trust God oh God for better or for worse and whether you know it or not beloved this is the lesson of our text because in this particular passage of scripture Matthew that text that tax collector turned apostle that IRS agent turned evangelist the Bible tells us that he's writing about the birth of Jesus Christ and instead of the rest of the gospels that focus on Mary Jesus mother Matthew decides to focus on Jesus earthly father Joseph and the Bible says that while Mary is or while Joseph is getting ready to take Mary as his wife he has his world rocked by the news that his wife to be is pregnant and the baby isn't his God help me but instead of running away from the mess of the situation the Bible tells us that Joseph has a conversation with his creator and even though it seems as if Joseph has plans for his life and those plans seem to be ruined Jesus could not be manifested in Joseph's life unless he decided to obey God even when it seemed like God's command wrecked Joseph's plans and this is the calling of every believer and the key to our joy when we're dealing with seasons of disappointment we like Joseph have to choose to trust that God knows what he's doing and follow him for better or for worse. Somebody say for better or for worse. So then I'm almost done. How do we follow God for better or for worse? How do we follow God for better or for worse? Number one, if you're taking notes, the first way I follow God for better or for worse is that I have to make the plans of my life subject to God's divine disruptions. I have to make the plans of my life subject to God's divine disruptions. I know y'all feel like I'm not in the text, uh, but check your Bible out. It says, this is how Jesus, verse 18, the Messiah was born. His His mother Mary was engaged. Everybody say engaged. To be married to Joseph. But before the marriage, somebody say marriage, marriage, took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two words there that you need to pay attention to. Engaged and marriage. Those don't happen typically without a plan. Specifically in the culture of the text, those marriages were arranged years in advance. Which means that Joseph had a plan for his life. He had a way that he wanted his life to go. And it doesn't say it specifically in the text. But I'm assuming that if Joseph is any kind of man, he wanted to marry his wife, take her home to his house, and that he be the one to get her pregnant. I'm just assuming. I'm going out on a limb. You know, that if you got this bride that you've been in the Hebrew culture engaged to for at least seven years. 
If your parents didn't arrange it before they was born, before y'all was born, it's at least a seven-year process. And so Joseph had all these years of wanting and wanting. And, okay, I guess y'all ain't seen Nutty Professor. <laughs> Joseph has this plan for his life. And when he gets ready to go get his wife and bring her home and put his plan into place, the Bible says that God steps in and wrecks his plans. And the true test of every believer, beloved, is how do we handle divine disruptions? How do we react when We've planned out every detail. We've done our vision boards and written everything out in our journals and our planners. And then God steps in and it seems like our plans go out the window. Yeah. What do we do when God don't care about how much you wrote down that this is the person you're going to marry and that this is the job you're going to have and this is the school that you're going to go to and that this is the GPA you're going to get? How do you handle it when things don't go according to your plan? And the truth is, it's okay to plan, it's good to plan, it's proper to plan, but you can only make plans based on your level of information. And because you don't have all of the information, you can never make a complete plan. But because you serve a God that sees what you can't see, you have to give God the authority to come to your life and adjust your plan because he knows things about your life that you don't know. Okay, let me help you. Uh, God knows what's best. That's why he has to wreck your plan, even if it's good. Because you can get good and still miss out on God's best. That's why God messed up the relationship. It wasn't because they was a cheater. It's because God didn't want you with them. That's why they walked away from you. It wasn't because they was fake. They good friends to the people that they called to. You got to learn how to trust God when he disrupts your plans. And can I help somebody? When is the last time you shouted about the plans that didn't work? When, when is the last time you shouted about the job that didn't work, about the relationship that didn't work, about the church that didn't work, about the people who didn't see your gift? You spend too much time crying over things you should be shouting about because sometimes things will fall apart and you ain't do nothing wrong. But God wants you to know that I broke it up because for you. God, help me. Oh, God, is there anybody here who can thank him because it didn't work? Who can thank him because it didn't happen? Who can thank him because they walked away? Now, let me help you. God is not obligated to bless your plan. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how much you beg and plead, God doesn't have to give you what you want. But I come to a place in my life where I don't praise God because he made everything go according to plan. I praise God because I understand that when God sends a divine disruption, he's doing it because he has something better than I have planned. God, help me. Let me help you. Uh, uh, Divine disruptions are invitations for us to experience God's best. And is there anybody here who's decided good isn't good enough? I decided I want God's best. God, help me. Oh, God, some of y'all are settling for stuff that isn't God's best. Oh, God, that career you in isn't God's best. Oh God, that person you with isn't God's best. That way you're spending your money and squirting your time and wasting your energy, that's not God's best. And you think that because you're doing good stuff, that that's God's stuff. But that's something different than good and God. Because good will 
you want for your life. But God's best will get you what he wants for your life. And is there anybody here who can say, I'll lose what I want if that means that I get what God wants me to have. As a matter of fact, I'm in a place in my life where I don't want anything that God don't give me. I don't want a church that God ain't give me. I don't want money that God ain't sent to me. I don't want members that God ain't gave me. And is there anybody here who can say, I don't want a man, a woman, a friend, a job, oh God, an opportunity that God didn't send into my life. And sometimes good in our lives becomes the enemy of God's best. Sometimes good in our lives, she asked me to say it again, becomes the enemy of God's best. So I have to make the plans of my life subject to God's divine disruption. I got to quit. Number two, I choose not to respond to life based on my analysis of my situation, but I respond based on God's revelation. Look, repeat after me. Somebody say situation, revelation. Look, look at the text. The Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man because he didn't want to embarrass Mary. He was going to break off the engagement privately. He was going to say that he changed his mind. That, you know what, uh, I ain't want to, uh, I ain't have enough money to come up with the dowry. Uh, my folks can't afford the wedding. He was going to put it all on. Because Joseph, like every other responsible adult, looks at his life, sees a problem, and tries to figure out a way for him to fix it. Joseph was responding based on situation. And when you respond based on your situation, it is possible to do the wrong thing with the right intention. Because all you can see is what you can see. And it's dangerous to respond when you don't have all of the information. But what I like about what Joseph did is before he calls Mary, before he get mad and send a hot-headed text, before he go out drinking with boys and send Mary a drunk text, the Bible says something that blows my mind. It says that the angel spoke to Joseph, how? In a dream. Which means that before Joseph made a decision, he slept on it. Which means that he gave God an opportunity to speak into his situation before he made a move. God, help me. Y'all missing this. Uh, Joseph said, I want to do something. I feel something in my gut. But I trust God enough to where I'm going to sleep on it and see if God will say something to me before I make the decision. And the Bible says that Joseph, while he was sleeping, got a revelation that told him, Joseph, I know that you want to quit. I know that you're mad. I know that you're disappointed. I know that you're heartbroken because you don't know what happened. But I want you to know something, Joe. Don't quit in the midst of this because I'm working in the midst of this mess. God, help me. Oh, God. Uh, God says, I'm working in the middle of the mess. God, help me. And have you ever feel like quitting, felt like quitting, but then you got a word for your situation? God, help me. Because situation will say quit, but revelation will say God is up to something. 
something. God, help me. A situation will say walk away, but revelation will say God is moving. In the midst of this pain, God is moving in the midst of this uncertainty. God is moving in the midst of this frustration. Oh, God, God is up to something. And this is why you can't afford to miss church, beloved. This is why you can't pick and choose what Sundays you're going to come to worship. Because situations happen every week. And you need a word that will give you revelation for your situation. That'll tell you quit in the middle of the circumstance because you're coming out all right God help me is there anybody here that can say I'm glad oh I showed up to church God help me as a matter of fact that's why some of you showed up to church today because your life is going crazy and you knew you could show up to this little new church called faith restore and get a word that would speak to your situation is there anybody here who can say God was talking to me oh God a couple Sundays ago when pastor said we came from the gutter God was speaking to me when he said he loved me flaws and all God speaks to you every time you come into the sanctuary and the word of God is open God is trying to give you revelation for your situation God help me oh God and I promise you this needs to be the season of your life beloved where you declare I'm not making a move until I get a word from God God help me I'm not doing anything I'm not accepting a job offer I'm not picking a a grad program I'm not naming my children until I get a word from God is there anybody here who can say I need a word yeah Uh, you can have drugs and sex and money and all that other stuff but I need a word from God that will take your pain away for a minute but the word of God will last forever is there anybody here who can say I need a word from God so situation will like you Because it will cause you to think that all that's happening is what you see. But revelation gives you access to the unseen realm. Revelation causes you to see that yes, there are real things and real problems and real situations that are happening that you can see. But God is at work on a stage that you can't see. God, help me. Oh, God, let me help you understand it. Uh, Many of you are not... Uh, uh, crazy like me and go look in the kitchen while the chef is cooking your food. I'm just a foodie like that. I get excited. I like to look back and see what he's doing to steak when he's cooking it and see how he mashing my burger when he's making it. I like that. Most of y'all eat at restaurants the way you should by faith. Y'all don't get it. You, you, you eat at a restaurant by faith. You make an order and you trust that the waitress writes it down right. And then you trust that when she tip that slip off and give it to the kitchen, that they read it right. And then you operate in the scene while things are happening in the unseen. And you don't get up and walk away from the table because even though you can't see the chef, you trust that he's working on something on your behalf. God, help me. Oh, God. And some of you want to get up and quit at the table of life, but you got to trust that there is a master chef in the kitchen of name God who is working on something on your behalf oh God situation says I'm hungry but revelation says he's working on something situation said I don't want to be married no more but revelation says he's working on something situation says I'm on, I'm in debt and I want to walk away but revelation says he's working on something do me a favor touch somebody next to you and say he's working on something ah uh. So I don't respond to life based on my analysis of my situation, but I respond based on God's revelation. But then number three, uh, 
I understand that God disrupting my plans for the moment is his invitation to use me so that he can manifest a miracle for the masses. I understand that God disrupting my plan for the moment is his invitation to use me because he don't have to use me. But it's his invitation to use me so that he can manifest a miracle, not for me, but for the masses. Look at what it says. Verse 21, he says, and she will have a son. And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph had plans for his life. But Mary needed a husband, Jesus needed an earthly father, and the world needed a savior. And so Joseph's plans, and at the same time invites him to participate in his plan to save the world. And Joseph could have allowed the disappointment of the disruption to derail him and to paralyze him. But instead, he got to be the earthly father and caretaker of the creator of the universe because he understood something that we oftentimes forget when God disrupts our plans. Our lives are not our own. Your life doesn't belong to you. You don't get to do whatever you want to do. And whenever God disrupts our plans, he's doing it to give us the opportunity to participate in his plan to bless the world. And the story of Joseph, beloved, teaches us that the things that disrupt our lives today can be the same things that bless our lives tomorrow. Because the same God who messed with Joseph's marriage is the same God that gave Joseph a miracle in the manger that blessed the entire world. And we have a choice to make every time our lives don't go our way. We can either become paralyzed by the pain of disappointment or we can accept the invitation to participate in God's process. God, help me. Oh God, y'all don't get it yet. Joseph had to get through the pain of his disappointment because Joseph had to meet Jesus. God, help me. And just like Joseph, somebody is depending on you to get through this disruption so that they can meet the Lord. God, help me. And I want to tell somebody, God is going to use this mess. He's going to use this disappointment. He's going to use this situation to be a blessing to your life. I know you don't see how it's going to work. I know you don't understand how it's going to happen, but God is going to use it. God, help me. Oh, God, I know it hurts right now, but if you keep saying yes to God, eventually the bruises of your life will become the blessings of your life. God, help me. We're reading about a situation that when it happened to Joseph, I'm sure it tore his life apart. Can you picture him getting ready to go get his bride? Joseph got a fresh haircut, then cleaned up his vehicle, got his house ready for his wife to come, asked her, hey, what kind of furniture you like? What kind of smells you like to have in your house? What kind of bath and body works candles 
clothes do you want in your crib, baby? How you want it to look? And Joseph spends all his good money getting ready for his virgin bride to come home so that they can consummate the marriage. Then he shows up, drives from Bethlehem to Nazareth. God help me to get his bride. And when he gets there to pick her up, she got a baby bump that Joseph ain't put there. God help me. Do you understand the pain that's going through Joseph's mind? But God told Joseph that if you give me a yes today, I'll make your pain worth it tomorrow. And that's my word to somebody who's going through the pain of disappointment with your life. You didn't plan to be here. Your marriage wasn't supposed to be like this. Your kids wasn't supposed to be this crazy. Your baby daddy wasn't supposed to be this trifling. Your ex wasn't supposed to be a cheater. Your old pastor wasn't supposed to be a liar. But God said, if you keep saying yes, I'll make sure that the pain is worth it. Help me. My best friend, my best friend is a pastor, a bishop, my God, in the Lord's church in St. Louis, Missouri. And we have a saying that we've said to each other for the last 12 years of our friendship. When things were going bad in our lives, we just tell each other, Adrian, hey, doc, things won't be like this always. God, help me. And that's my encouragement to you. No matter what you're going through, things won't be like this always. I know you're crying. I know you're sad. I know you're disappointed. I know you're wondering how it's going to work out, but things won't be like this always. Messes today are miracles tomorrow. Bruises today are baby Jesus's tomorrow. Negativity today is nativity tomorrow. God will bring something good out of your mess. Number four, and I'm done. So I understand that God disrupted my plans for the moment. It's his invitation to use me so that he can manifest a miracle for the masses. But then number four, how do I follow God for better or for worse? I follow God for better or for worse by maturing to the place where I'm okay not getting what I want from my life until God gets what he wants from my life. I mature to the place where I'm okay not getting what I want from my life until God gets what he wants life. Look at the text, and I'm in my seat. Joseph says, verse 24, or the Bible says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her Until her son was born. He took her. And she was his wife. They was married. He put a ring on it. And because he put a ring on it, he had every right to do what married folk do with their wives. But the Bible says. That he didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? One, because that would have disrupted God's process. And it would have contaminated God's glory. Because even though Joseph and Mary would have known that Mary was pregnant before Joseph had relations with his wife, everybody around them who knew that they consummated their marriage, because back in that day, consummation was public. They would have the wedding feast, and then they would go to the bedroom, and the wedding party would wait outside of the bedroom until they brought a sheet out that the woman bled on to declare that she was a virgin when she consummated her marriage. So everybody who was there when they consummated the marriage 
would have been like, oh, no. When Jesus said he was the son of God, no, you're the son of Joseph. We were there that night when y'all consummated the marriage. So Joseph decides that he's going to not get what he wants so that God can get the glory out of that situation. But more than that, Joseph could have saved himself from embarrassment by going ahead and doing not what was against the law, what he had every right to do. Because at worst, or at best, his wife was raped. At worst, she was a cheater. And either way, Joseph didn't want anything to do with that mess. He could have fixed it all by doing what he had every right to do and saying, that's my baby. But then God wouldn't have got the glory. And I know that y'all wouldn't expect me to go here. But Joseph had every right to do with his wife what he wanted to do with his wife. And you got every right to do with your stuff what you want to do with your stuff. But every week you make a decision on whether or not you're going to honor yourself or give God glory. Every week when it's time to get up for church, you know that you need to be in church. You make a decision on what you do with your time and with your body and with your gas. You decide every week at offering time what you're going to do with your money and what you're going to do with the money you worked hard for. And while you have every right to do with your money what you decide to do, God says, I get more glory when you mine first. Joseph gives his family to God as an offering because he wants God to get the glory out of his life. Even though he had every right to take it from himself and our, for himself. And are we mature enough, beloved, to deny ourselves the satisfaction of seeing what we want come together if that means that God gets more glory? Yeah, most of us work hard to get what we want, to see our hopes and our dreams and our goals and our plans come together. And then we try to give God whatever is left. But the real Christians say, God, I'm giving you first dibs on my time, on my money, on my energy, on my future, because I love you and I can't be happy with my life and you'd be unhappy with my life. Someone doesn't need to wait until 2019, but you need to make a decision today that you are taking God off the back burner and that you're going to start right now living a God first life. You don't need to make a New Year's resolution. You need to start right now today deciding that you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that all these other things will be added unto you. And you'll be delivered from your disappointment when you adjust your desire. The Bible says, how does this appointment happen? The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So that when you're hoping and it does not go your way, it makes your heart sick. So you adjust what you're hoping for. And the way you adjust what you're hoping for is by declaring, I don't want anything other than what God wants me to have. I don't want anything other than what God wants for my life. And when you decide that you want God to get the glory at all costs, you'll be able to be content in every situation because you know that God will not give you what you want, but God will always get the glory. God will get the glory through you or he'll get the glory in spite of you. God will get the glory on your behalf or he'll get the glory by knocking you out the way. You got to decide whether or not you're going to be on God. 
is not on your side unless you're on his side. Okay. I got to close. Joseph wants to consummate the marriage. He's been waiting at least seven years to do it. But the Bible says, Matthew chapter 1, that he waits and he does not touch Mary because he wants God to get all of the glory. But if you flip to the right in your Bible, to Matthew 13, verse 55, the Bible tells us that after Jesus, Mary and Joseph had at least six children. Now, now check this out. Joseph could deal with the fact that the baby wasn't his biologically, but the Hebrews had a great culture of adoption, so uh, he would adopt Jesus and love him like it was his own, right? But there would be one stipulation for Hebrew adoption. He would want to name the baby Joseph Jr. Even though it's not mine, I got to raise him. He's my wife's firstborn. I'm going to name him Joseph Jr. But the angel further complicates Joseph's recovery from a bad situation by saying, no, you ain't even going to make the best of this situation. You got to name him something different because he don't get your name because you're not his daddy. He gets his daddy's name. God help me. Uh, You got to name this baby Jesus because he's going to be named after his father. God help me. But the Bible says, that's not why I'm trying to preach that. I, I got to preach that another weekend. Uh, uh, he's named after his, God help me, let me stop. So he has to name him Jesus. But the Bible says in Matthew 13, verse 55, that after Jesus is born, Jesus has six other siblings, including four other brothers, one of which... Matthew 13, 56 is named Joseph Jr. God help me. Which means that Joseph didn't get what he wanted in chapter one. God help me. But if he waited a little while, he found out that God would eventually give him what he wanted. God help me. And I'm talking to somebody now who needs to understand that divine disruptions may mean that your desire gets delayed. But just because your desire gets delayed, that doesn't mean it's been denied. God help me. Oh God, some single person now, this may not be your season for marriage, but God wants you to know that delayed does not mean that There is a chapter 13 coming in your life. God help me. That God is going to give you. Lord help me. What 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 you want. God help me. He didn't have relations with Mary on the wedding night. But obviously he had some relations with her because they had six. Not one. Not two. Not three times the lady. Four, five, and six children at least. The Bible says that he had relations with his wife and had him a junior that he wanted. That's good news for somebody whose plans have been delayed. God, help me. Oh, God, do me a favor. I'm not trying to preach hard. We got to get up out of this building right now, Mike. So can you help me preach for 30 seconds? Do me a favor. Touch your neighbor and say, it's been delayed. God, help me. Let me hear you flat. But it doesn't mean it's been denied. Grab somebody and tell them, neighbor.